Chapter Three, Part Two of the Guns of Shiloh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Guns of Shiloh, by Joseph A. Altscheller, Chapter Three, The Telegraph Station, Part Two. The whole cheerful scene, with its life and movement, the sight of new faces, and the sound of many voices, had a wonderful effect upon young Dick Mason. He had a marvelously sensitive temperament, a direct inheritance from his famous border ancestor, Paul Cotter. Things were always vivid to him. Either they glowed with color, or they were hueless and dead. This morning the long strain of the night and its battle was relaxed completely. The grass in the valley was brown with frost, and the trees were shorn of their leaves by the winter winds. But to Dick it was the finest village that he had ever seen, and these were the friendliest people in the world. He drank a cup of hot coffee, handed to him by the stalwart wife of a farmer, and then, when she insisted, drank another. "'You're young to be fighting,' she said sympathetically. We all are, said Dick, with a glance at the regiment. But however we may fight, you'll never find anybody attacking a breakfast with more valor and spirit than we do. She looked at the long line of lads drinking coffee and eating ham, bacon, eggs, and hot biscuits, and smiled. I reckon you tell the truth, young fella, she said, but it's good to see him go at it. She passed on to help others, and Dick, summoned by Colonel Newcomb, went into a little railroad and telegraph station. The telegraph wires had been cut behind them, but ten miles across the mountains the spur of another railroad touched a valley. The second railroad looped toward the north, and it was absolutely sure that it was beyond the reach of southern raiders. Colonel Newcomb wished to send a message to the Secretary of War and the President, telling of the night's events and his triumphant passage through the ordeal these circumstances might make them wish to change his orders and at any rate the commander of the regiment wished to be sure of what he was doing you're a kentuckian and a good horseman said colonel newcomb to dick the villagers have sent me a trusty man one bill petty as a guide take sergeant whitley and you three go to the station i've already written my dispatches and i put them in your care have them sent at once and if necessary wait four hours for an answer if it comes ride back as fast as you can the horses are ready and i rely upon you thank you sir i'll do my best said dick who deeply appreciated the colonel's confidence he wasted no time in words but went at once to sergeant whitley who was ready in five minutes warner who heard of the mission was disappointed because he was not going to but he was philosophical I've made a close calculation, he said, and I have demonstrated to my own satisfaction that our opportunities are sixty percent energy and ability, twenty percent manners, and twenty percent chance, in this case chance, which made the Colonel better acquainted with you than with me was in your favor. We won't discuss the other eighty percent, because this twenty is enough. Besides, it looks pretty cold on the mountains, and it's fine here in the village. But luck with you, Dick. He gave his comrade's hand a strong grasp and walked away toward the little square of the village, 
where the troops were encamped for the present. Dick sprang upon a horse which Bill Petty was holding for him. Whitley was already up, and the three rode swiftly toward a blue line which marked a cleft between two ridges. Dick first observed their guide. Bill Petty was a short but very stout man, clad in a suit of homemade blue jeans, the trousers of which were thrust into high boots with red tops. A heavy shawl of dark red was wrapped around his shoulders, and beneath his broad-brimmed hat a red woolen comforter covered his ears, cheeks, and chin. His thick hair and thick beard, clothing his entire face, were a flaming red. The whole effect of the man was somewhat startling, but when he saw Dick looking at him in curiosity, his mouth opened wide in a grin of extreme good nature. "'I guess you think I'm right red,' he said. "'Well, I am, and you see, I always dress to suit my complexion. Guess I'll warm up the road some on a winter day like this.' "'Would you mind my calling you Red Blaze?' asked Sergeant Whitley gravely. "'Not at all, not at all. I'd like it. I guess it's sort of pictorial and imaginative like them knights of old who had fancy names cordon to their qualities. People round here are pretty plain, and they've never called me nothing but Bill. Red Blaze she is. And Blaze for short. Well, then, Blaze, what kind of a road is that we're going to ride on? Depends on the kind of weather in which you ask the question.' as it's the first edge of winter here in the mountains though it ain't quite come in the lowlands and as it's rained a lot in the last week i reckon you'll find it bad maybe our horses will go down in the road to their knees but i guess they won't sink up to their bodies they may stumble and throw us but as we'll hit a soft mud it ain't likely to hurt us it may rain hard cause i see clouds heaping up thar in the west and if it rains the cold may then freeze a skim of ice over the road on which we could slip and break our necks, horses and all. Then there are some cliffs close to the road. If we was to slip on that there are skim of ice, which we've reckoned might come, then maybe we'd go over one of them cliffs and drop down a hundred feet or so right swift. If it was soft mud down below, we might not get hurt mortal. But it ain't soft mud. We'd hit right in the middle of sharp hard rocks. And if a gang of rebel sharpshooters had wandered up here, they may see us and chase us way off into the mountains, where we'd break our necks, fallen off the ridges, or freeze to death, or starve to death. Whitley stared at him. Blaze, he exclaimed. What kind of a man are you anyway? Me? I'm the happiest man in the valley. When people are low down, they come and talk to me to get cheered up. I always lay the worst before you first, and then shove it out of the way. None of them things that I was conjuring up is going to happen. I was just telling you of things you was going to escape, and now you'll feel good knowing what dangers you've passed before they happened. Dick laughed. He liked this intensely red man with his round face and twinkling eyes. He saw, too, that the mountaineer was a fine horseman, and as he carried a long, slender-barreled rifle over his shoulder, while a double-barreled pistol was thrust in his belt, it was likely that he'd prove a formidable enemy to any who sought to stop him. "'Perhaps your way is wise,' said the boy. "'You begin with the bad and end with the good. What is the name of this place to which we are going?' "'Hubbard. There was a pioneer who fit the engines in here in early times. I never heard that he got much, except a town named after him. But Hubbard is a right pert little place, with a bank, two stores, three churches, and nigh on the two hundred people. Are you wrapped up well, Mr. Mason?' "'cause it's going to be cold on the mountains.' 
Dick wore heavy boots and a long heavy military coat which fell below his knees and which also had a high collar protecting his ears. He was provided also with heavy buckskin gloves. The sergeant was clad similarly. I think I'm clothed against any amount of cold, he replied. Well, you need to be, said Petty, because the pass through which we're going is at least fifteen hundred feet above Townsville. That's our village, and I reckon it's just about as high over Hubbard. Them fifteen hundred feet make a powerful difference in climate, as you'll soon find out. It's not only colder thar, but the winds are always blowing hard through the pass. Just look back at Townsville. Ain't she fine and neat down thar in the valley, beside that clear creek, which higher up in the mountains is full of the juiciest and sweetest trout that man ever stuck a tooth into? Dick saw that Petty was talkative, but he didn't mind. In fact, both he and Whitley liked the man's joyous and unbroken run of chatter. He turned in his saddle and looked back, following the stout man's pointing finger. Townsville, though but a little mountain town built mainly of logs, was indeed a jewel, softened and with a silver sheen thrown over it by the mountain air, which was misty that morning. He dimly saw the long black line of the train standing on the track, and here and there warm rings of smoke rose from the chimneys and floated up into the heavens where they were lost. He thought he could detect little figures moving beside the train, and he knew that they must be those of his comrades. He felt for a moment a sense of loneliness. He had not known these lads long, but the battle had bound them firmly together. They had been comrades in danger, and that made them comrades as long as they lived. Greatest town in the world, said Petty, waving toward it a huge hand encased in a thick yarn glove. I have traveled from it as much as fifty miles in every direction, north, south, east, and west, and I ain't never seed its match. I reckon I'm something of a traveler, but every time I come back to Townsville, I think all the more of it, seeing how much better it is than anything else. Dick glanced at the mountaineer and saw that there could be no doubt of his sincerity. You're a lucky man, Mr. Petty, he said, to live in the finest place in the world. Yes, and if I don't get drug off to the war, I'm not hankering for fightin', and I don't know much what the war's about, though I'm for the Union, first to last, and that's the way most of the people about here feel. Turn your heads again, friends, and take another look at Townsville. Dick and Whitley glanced back and saw only the blank gray wall of the mountain. Petty laughed. He was the finest laugher that Dick had ever heard. The laugh did not merely come from the mouth. It was also exuded, pouring out through every pore. It was rolling, unctuous, and so strong that Petty not only shook with it, but his horse seemed to shake also. It was mellow, too, with an organ note that comes of a mighty lung and throat, and of pure air breathed all the year round. Thought I'd get the joke on you, he said, when he stopped laughing. The road's been slantin' into the mountains, without you knowin' it, and Townsville is cut off by the cliffs. You'll find it gettin' wilder now, till we start down the slope on the other side. Lucky our horses are strong, cause the mud is deeper than I thought it would be. It was not really a road that they were following, merely a path, and the going was painful. Under Petty's instructions they stopped their mounts now and then for a rest, and a mile further on they began to feel a rising wind. It's the wind that I told you of, said Petty. It sucked through six or seven miles of pass, 
and it'll blow straight into our faces all the way as we'll be going up for a long distance you'll find it growing colder too but you've got to remember that after you pass them cold winds and go down the slope you'll strike another warm little valley the one in which hubbard is laying so neat and so snug dick had already noticed the increasing coldness and so had the sergeant whitley from his long experience on the plains had the keenest kind of an eye for climatic changes he noticed with some apprehension that the higher peaks were clothed in thick cold fog but he said nothing to the brave boy whom he had grown to love like a son but both he and dick drew their heavy coats closer and were thankful for the buckskin gloves without which their hands would have stiffened on the reins now they rode in silence with their heads bent well forward because the wind was becoming fiercer and fiercer over the peaks the fogs were growing thicker and darker and after a while the sharp edge of the wind was wet with rain it stung their faces and they drew their hat brims lower and their coat collars higher to protect themselves from such a cutting blast told you we might have trouble called petty cheerfully but if you ride right on through trouble you'll leave trouble behind nor this ain't nothing neither to what we can expect for we get to the top of the pass curious what a powerful lot human beings can stand when they make up their minds to it are the horses well shod asked whitley best shod in the world cause i done it myself that's my trade blacksmith and i'm a good one if i do say it i heard before we started that you'd been a soldier in the west i suppose that you had to look mighty close to your horses then a man couldn't afford to be riding a horse made lame by bad shoein when ten thousand yellin' Sioux or Blackfeet was after him. No, you couldn't, replied the sergeant. Out there you had to watch every detail. That's one of the things that fightin' Indians taught. You had to be watchin' all the time, and I reckon the training will be of value in this war. Are we mighty near to the top of the pass, Mr. Petty? Got two or three miles yet. The slope is steeper on the other side. We rise a lot more before we hit the top. The wind grew stronger with every rod they ascended, and the horses began to pant with their severe exertions. At Petty's suggestion, the three riders dismounted and walked for a while, leading their horses. The rain turned to a fine hail and stung their faces. Had it not been for his two good comrades, Dick would have found his situation inexpressibly lonely and dreary. The heavy fog now enveloped all the peaks and ridges and filled every valley and chasm. He could see only fifteen or twenty yards ahead along the muddy path, and the fine hail which gave every promise of becoming a storm of sleet stung continually. The wind confined in the narrow gorge also uttered a hideous shrieking and moaning sound. "'Test your nerve!' shouted Petty to Dick. "'There are hard things beside battles to stand.' and this is going to be one of the hard ones. But if you go through it all right, you can go through any number of the same kind all right, too. Likely the sleet will be so thick that it'll make a sheet of slippery ice for us coming back. Now horses that ain't got corks on their shoes are pretty sure to slip and fall, breaking a leg or two, and maybe breaking the necks of their riders. Dick looked at him with amazement. Despite his announcement of dire disaster, the man's eyes twinkled merrily, and the round red outline of his bushy beard and the scarlet comforter made a cheerful blaze. It's just as I told you, said Petty, meeting the boy's look. Without corks on thar shoes, 
our horses are pretty sure to slip on the ice and break themselves up or fall down a cliff and break themselves up more then why in thunder blaze exclaimed whitley did we start without corks on the shoes of our horses red blaze broke into a deep mellow laugh starting from the bottom of his diaphragm swelling as it passed through his chest swelling again as it passed through throat and mouth and bursting upon the open air in a mighty diapasm that rose cheerfully above the shrieking and moaning of the wind we didn't start without him he replied the twelve feet of these three horses have on em the finest caulked shoes in all these mountains i put em on myself beginning the job this morning for you was awake and your colonel on the advice of the people of townsville who know me as one of its leading and trusted citizens having selected me as the guide of this trip i was just telling you what would happen to you if i didn't justify the confidence of the people of townsville i allow red blaze said the sergeant with confidence that you ain't no fool and that you're looking out for our best interests lead on red blaze's mellow and pleased laugh rose once more above the whistling of the wind you can ride again now boys he said the horses are pretty well rested they resumed the saddle gladly and now mounted toward the crest of the pass the sleet turned to snow which was a relief to their faces and dick with a constant beating of wind and snow began to feel a certain physical exhilaration he realized the truth of red blaze's assertion that if you stiffen your back and push your way through troubles you leave troubles behind they rode now in silence for quite a while and then red blaze suddenly announced we're at the top boys end of chapter three part two